0: So, about uh, six or seven years ago, Steven Spielberg was getting ready to uh, make this new movie, and it was uh, based on a, on a true story. I had, never, I had never heard this story. Crazy, crazy true story. Um, it's the 1850s in Italy, and uh, there was this family, Jewish family. They lived in uh, Northern Italy. uh, And this was, uh, they still at this point in history, there was what they had with these uh, papal states. So for about like a thousand years, the church pretty much ruled Italy, most of Italy. Uh, The Pope was essentially like the king. They called them these papal states. And uh, anyway, this family is a Jewish family living in this very, very Catholic country or territory. The Jewish family, they had six kids. No, they had eight kids. The sixth of the eight was this little boy. His name was Edgardo, Edgardo Mortara. As an infant, he got sick, like seriously sick, like he may die sick. The family had a a nanny. She lived lived in the house and took care of these eight kids. She's looking at this little baby boy who she thinks is going to die. She was Catholic. They're Jewish. She baptized this baby. She didn't tell anybody. She didn't tell the parents. She just did it. She did it for a reason. She thought that if that baby died because he wasn't baptized, he wouldn't go to heaven. So she baptized them in this Jewish family. Now, the law of this papal rule was this non Christians were forbidden to raise a Christian child. In a sense, that's what was going on. You had these Jewish Jewish parents, and they've got this little Catholic son. Now, they don't know it, but that's what's going on. Well, when he was around six years old, for whatever reason, the nanny told somebody. I don't even know who she told. I don't think it was directly the parents. But people found out what she had done, this kind of secret baptism. And the church found out. And there's this rule, this law. You couldn't have a little kid, Catholic kid being raised in a, in a non-Catholic wow. house. So the church came and took the kid. Like they almost, sort of like they kidnapped him They didn't want a ransom. They didn't want money. They just didn't want Jewish people raising a little Catholic kid. People couldn't believe it. The family was appalled, horrified. They protested. The Vatican wouldn't hear it. It became like an international story. Countries were like, to the Pope, were like, are you kidding? How... How could you do this? You have no right to to rip this kid away from his family. The Pope was Pius IX, and he refused to release him. Despite the pressure, despite the, the protests, he wouldn't. And the boy was never returned. He never went back to his family. It's like a horrible story, isn't it? Like, what was the church thinking? How could we have gotten it so wrong? Here's the crazy part. They didn't, they didn't think they were doing something wrong, at least the leaders. They thought this was the right thing to do. This was sort of the only thing to do. And it was only like 165 years ago. It wasn't like 1,000 years ago. This didn't happen in the Middle Ages. We just got it wrong. We were like wrong theologically. This is what the church taught back then. People who aren't Catholic don't go to heaven when they die. That's what we believed. that's what we taught. That's why this nanny did what she did. She believed that. She's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rescue this kid. Morally, like how did, how did the church think, sign off on this? The kid was six. You taking him from his mom and dad? The whole idea of like papal states, how crazy that was. Maybe that's why this nutty stuff happened because we got too powerful. It was like when the, the church and the government become kind of one, terrible things usually happen to the church because power does corrupt. We think we're bigger than we are. We forget who we are and what we're supposed to be. And this isn't just a church problem. I think it's a human thing with power. We often let it go to our heads. Anyway, we got it very wrong. It must have made Jesus nuts. with this, when this kidnapping happened, when this Pope-led kidnapping happened. Jesus must have been bouncing off the walls. He must have been thinking, this is not what I wanted. This is crazy what you're doing. This isn't what I meant. How did you all get to this place? How did you think that what I began and what I said should lead to this craziness. Well, we've gotten better. That teaching about you don't go to heaven if you're not Catholic, we don't teach that anymore. About a hundred years later, the church said, wait a minute, Jesus wouldn't have been about that. We shouldn't be about that. So we got better. But in a way, it's kind of nothing new, like this whole idea of, you know, church and religion not always getting it right. I mean, from the beginning, we've kind of messed it up. Remember what St. Peter did before he was a saint? Remember what Judas did? Like, from the beginning, there's been screw-ups. Look at the readings tonight. You got the Old Testament, this guy Malachi, Jesus and the Gospel, they're both saying the same thing. They're just lighting up religious leaders. They're going after hypocrisy and arrogance and greed, ignorance, the terrible things that happen when power becomes the source of everything. Well, the church of 1850 is not the church of today, right? We've gotten it better, we're getting better, Well, not perfect, but we're never gonna be perfect. Who's perfect? Hopefully our families are better today than they were 50 years ago, right? Hopefully I'm a better friend today than I was 25 years ago, right? Hopefully we're better at raising kids today than we did when they were six months old, right? But we should always be getting better. We should always be like kinda looking at ourselves and say like, where am I not getting this right? Where do we need to get better? The church still struggles with it. We're better than we were, but we're not there yet. I think of this gospel and these very specific words, directives from Jesus to the leaders about what to do and what not to do and how not to be and it's kind of sometimes ignored. You know, when I was, right before I became a priest, so I was ordained in May of 1993. This was probably like February. I was getting ready for the big day. I'd be ordained on a Saturday with my classmates at the cathedral, and then on Sunday, you have your first mass, and you're usually the parish where you grew up in. It's a big deal, you know, it was like a huge celebration. After your first mass, you usually have like a huge party, kind of like a wedding, like a wedding reception. It's like a wedding without the bride, in a way. Catering hall, I had a band, crazy party. Anyway, we put, uh, sent out invitations. And I remember, this was again, a couple of months before, and I'm kind of writing up what I want on the invitations to be. and Then I happened to show it to a, a guy in the seminary, a guy who was a year behind me. I just wanted him to proofread it, make sure I kind of had the grammar right. And he's looking at it, and he goes, this looks good, this looks good. And then I was gonna send it off to the printer. And he goes, uh, he's looking at it, he said, that looks good, looks good. And he goes, wait a minute, you're missing this. So I said, what? And anyway, on the invitation, it said that uh, I'd be ordained by Bishop McGann. And he said, well, you gotta write, you gotta, you gotta put in His Excellency, Bishop McGann instead of just Bishop McGann. And I looked at him and I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. Like, I'm not, I'm not putting your ex, his excellency. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. He's just excellent. Everything about him is excellent. No, it's not. And he was a really good guy. But he didn't want to be called his excellency. But that's kind of like what the church does we elevate our leaders to this ludicrous level it gets worse how about cardinals your eminence huh. that's even bigger than your excellency not that like isn't that what we call kings and princes and queens isn't that what we do with royalty what the heck is the church using that kind of language and imagery to describe its leaders especially when you get a gospel like tonight where jesus is like listen church leaders Don't be getting into crazy titles. Don't be doing things which elevate you in the minds of people. You need to serve people. If you wanna lead, you need to serve. You need to wash people's feet. You don't walk around like you are the king of the world with crazy titles. So the invitation did not have his excellency. It was Bishop McGann. Listen, you got to have leaders in an organization. I get it. You got to have sort of symbols and sort of distinctions and, you know, titles to some degree. Every organization has one the military, the police, anywhere you go, you've got distinctions. I'm not saying ditch all of it, but this royalty nonsense, look at the gospel. He's talking about people who love places of honor. Don't be using exalted titles. Your eminence? Your excellency? Your holiness? It's like, what did they just check out when this gospel comes up? We just kind of, we look the other way. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So like, it seems to me like kissing rings and thrones, that kind of stuff. I think that would make him nuts. I think that would make Jesus crazy. We don't want to make him crazy. (laughs) We should be living to please him and make him proud. But it's not just a church problem. I think it's an everywhere problem. Look at us, look at us as a as a people, as a nation, as a, as a great country. I mean, consider this. In the land of the free and the home of the brave, consider this, in 1947, there was one Major League Baseball owner who pushed for integration. There was one owner who said, this is crazy. Not letting black people play, this, play a sport because of the color of their sin. skin is a sin. It's crazy. And nobody else agreed. And 50 years later, nobody in the major leagues wears his number. 42, Jackie Robinson's number, has been retired from all teams for all time. So we've gotten better. In 50 years, we, I guess we looked at ourselves and we're like, what, what are we doing? I'm thinking like earlier this week, All Souls Day, when we're supposed to like very specifically think about those who've gone before us, especially the ones in our lives, the people we've loved, to pray for them. And I was thinking, yeah, like, don't we all have people in our families who were before us, maybe maybe parents, maybe grandparents, aunts and uncles, who are almost like from a different time, maybe a different place. Maybe they didn't have quite, you know, the education that most of us have got. So because of that, the time and the place they grew up some of their attitudes were, by today's standards, not so great. The way they thought about certain people, certain groups, judgments they might make, expressions they might use, the way people, even within a family, might like look at women, it'd be demeaning to like the, the mom or the wife, the daughters. Like that was just sort of like the way it was in certain cultures. And if they pulled any of that today, we'd be like cringing, right? You'd be quieting them down. We've gotten better. But we still love those people. We'll love them forever with a perfect, no. But those people would've taken a bullet for us. So we will love them forever despite the mistakes. We don't renounce family identity because it's imperfect. We don't renounce our citizenship because our country doesn't have the perfect history. Well, we shouldn't do the same thing with the church. Like family, like country, it's not perfect. And I tell you this much, I know people who have used the sin of the church, the humanity of the church, to justify bolting. They've really worn so much here even before, and now this became their excuse. I got to have a perfect church in order to be a part of it? Good luck. You got to have a perfect family? You got to be part of a perfect country to be part of it? No, you don't. But we got to be getting better. You know, interesting, Jesus says something important. He is blowing up all of these religious leaders, but he does say this. He says, Listen to what they say, because what they're saying is true. It's the truth. Don't follow their example, because they're not practicing what they're preaching. Don't follow them, but listen to them. We don't quit. He didn't say walk away from them. He said, just don't don't justify their hypocrisy. We don't quit country, we don't quit family, we don't quit church, but we challenge all of the above and ourselves. You know that Spielberg movie? Maybe you're thinking like, what movie was it? It never happened. It's like seven years ago, the plans were, it was like kind of underway, I'm told. That's what I read about. They had a script. He already had a couple of actors lined up. And I'm not sure what happened. You know, maybe it'll be made one day, maybe something else got in the way. That kid who was kidnapped by the church, he became a priest. He died in 1940. He was 88. Like, he lived his his life as a priest. Isn't that a crazy story? It's like, I don't know, like, did he, was he forced to become a priest? That might be the case. Was he legitimately converted to be a priest? Maybe, like, it's kind of what makes the story so intriguing. And so crazy, crazy story, crazy church, church that we love despite the crazy.